What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Plan for today, a little bit of a different setup. Two interviews coming at you right away. We've got Billy Lucci of Texags for about an hour, long overdue to have Billy on the pod to talk AM. He obviously knows that program as well as anyone, so wanted to be able to touch base with him on where everything stands with Jimbo entering year five, which is just kind of a crazy thought in itself. We also got into a lot of different uh, Manziel stuff that, you know, if you recall, Billy was extremely close to about 10 years ago when all that stuff was unfolding. And then our guy, Adam Spencer, is going to get us caught up on a bunch of different SEC hoops things. So first Billy, then Adam. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Tex Ag's executive editor and co-owner, Billy Lucci. If you're an Aggie, or basically if you've consumed AM content in the past decade and a half, you know exactly who Billy is. Billy, I wanted to have you on for a long time because I think your place in this business is so unique and I wanna get into all that. But first, I wanna go just super, super broad. What is the overall vibe in Aggie land right now? Because AM signs this history historically loaded recruiting class, but obviously the regular season it came up short of expectations. So what's just kind of the overall mood right now among AM fans? I think there's still, Connor, a tremendous amount of excitement. Um, I think prior to this past season, it was almost all-time high type stuff. Now, you got to remember going into 2013, Johnny coming back after winning the Heisman rematch with Alabama. You had Mike Evans and that was probably an all time high for a single season. Uh, Last year was like entering the year, I think was an all time high for excitement in the program. And then Haynes King went down and I think people, I keep telling people this, I think people are going to realize this season, how much you're losing him affected that team last year with what he can do as a dual threat and how good I, I believe he really is. It's because he had no experience and no one had seen him. It's not like Ole Miss losing Matt Corral or Alabama losing Bryce Young. Um, but I I think Haynes King and what they were expecting from him in year one as a starter to go along with that offense and defense, like that, that was a pretty devastating blow for their season. And then, but to get that Bama win, it kind of reignited stuff. And for several weeks, A&M was back in the mix. Um, by signing the class that A&M did, it really almost kind of erased the fact they lost four. And everybody kind of went back to look, beat Bama, getting a, a potential star at quarterback back. Not to mention that room looks so much better. And this this number one class, it's a weird place. I think that A&M fans are in because there's a ton of excitement, but they also realize that, okay, the window, we're actually in the window now. Does that make sense? We're we're in that window that now we have to do it. Like, and and I don't, you got to understand history here. Like, I don't even think that, like, people around the country will say, well, Jimbo has to win a national title. And obviously he's trying to. And obviously that's his ultimate goal, and that's the ultimate goal of hiring him is to win one. But for A&M, a a true breakthrough would be an SEC title and a couple playoff berths. I'm talking about a four-team playoff, not when they expand it to 12 or 80 or whatever they're going to end up doing. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that is a massive breakthrough for A&M. And maybe if Haynes King didn't get hurt this year and and they went – 
ten and two instead of eight and four. And over two years, they were an Orange Bowl champ and a, and a Sugar Bowl champ. Man, that's a massive breakthrough for Texas A&M football. And and so, do they have to win an Addy in the next? You know, next year or two, no. But in in this window, do they have to be a national title contender? Do you want to see some form of of trophy, like whether that's an SEC title or, or the big one? Yeah, and that that's the goal of everybody involved. So, I think once they sign this class, Connor, I laugh a lot because I see Longhorns and Sooners, and I feel like a lot of LSU fans get into this too, and they're like, "Well, you be, you got to win something now with this," and I go. You know, well, no crap. Like, you're paying the coach. Nobody's disagreeing with that. Jimbo's not. A&M's not. The players, you know, like, but we're just getting into that window. They just signed that class a month ago. Um, this will be year five. Uh, yeah, I think there's no question that while this group is on campus, this needs to be that championship group. And, and Okay, great. If we're looking at year seven and eight, and A&M's won nothing under Jimbo, then yeah, then you go back and say this didn't work the way you wanted it to. But I think it it is absolutely trending that way. Uh, there's no doubt about it. A&M did not catch the they, they actually caught a really bad break. It was a leg break. Um, this year it didn't go the way you had hoped and they caught a bad break and, and they're going to have to catch a, a positive break or two along the way but I think this year this is a really good football team and I think that year after that when all these recruits are in year two and this great freshman class is in year three with a returning starter at quarterback with four starting O-linemen coming back I think in this next two three years is when, when you're going to see Texas A&M kind of peaking under Jimbo Okay, so you hit on a lot of things right there that I, I want to be able to, to unpack. And sometimes when I fire yeah. off an A&M related tweet, you'll, you'll comment on it. And I always sort of take that as kind of the pulse of the fan base because you're as plugged in as anybody is on all things Aggie. So when I tweeted <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, like when I tweeted A&M was getting too much love as a way too early number four team and you agreed with me, that kind of confirmed yeah. what I've been thinking, which was it feels like the pendulum has totally swung and now A&M is considered like this next team up and because of as you mentioned the historically good recruiting class that they've got coming in it kind of feels like we've jumped the gun a little bit and we've kind of overlooked some of the talent that is they just lost especially on the defensive side of the ball is that kind of a fair assessment of where things stand right now yeah i mean i think they they lost four guys that are going to get drafted on the D-line, including a potential maybe likely first rounder in leal and then three others now with the way they're recruiting D-line, I think in this recruiting class, you know, you you never know how a guy's going to develop. But if you look at ranking, they just signed a class that includes Miles Garrett and Marvin Leal and maybe, you know, Ty Warren. I mean, they, they it's the best D-line class I've ever seen anyone sign. And they might add Shamar Stewart to it here in another week. I mean, that's going to be probably A&M or Miami, maybe Georgia, but I think it'll be an A&M Miami thing. And, and, you know, he's a top 10 player in the whole country. So it's insane what they're – and by the way, they signed two five-stars last year that'll be – that were contributors this season that'll be entering next year. I, I could tell you where their D-line next year could be. Uh, junior McKinley Jackson, two sophomores that were five-stars a year ago, and uh, 
maybe Walter Nolan, you know, the number two player in the country. Yeah. And so talent wise, they're coming up, but I mean, that's a lot of inexperience on the D line and you're still going, unless Max Johnson beats out Haynes King, which would tell me that Max is thriving with a new quarterbacks coach in Jimbo and in a new system. Uh, but if Max, unless Max says that, you're still going into a season with, with really complete and total inexperience at quarterback with Haynes King or if Connor Wigman, the five-star shocks, you know, everybody and immediately takes either way, total inexperience at QB and, and all new faces on the D line. That, that to me doesn't scream top five team, but Connor, I do think the roster is such that you look at guys like, a chain and Anaya Smith and 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 the guys they have coming back in the um, in the secondary and some of those names I said on the D line and Foster and Fathery up front and you're going okay look I watched his team play last year and at their best they could beat Bama with a backup quarterback um, talent wise I do think they're getting to a point where they should be a team that you kind of just get used to seeing in the top 10 every year I just felt like 4 and when I kept seeing them 4 and 5 I'm going wow like you said it's definitely flipped where I feel like A&M's getting the love maybe a little more so than they should I felt that way last year they returned 4 new starters on the O-line and a quarterback that never taken a meaningful snap and they were preseason top 5 um but the crazy thing is, as you watch a season play out, you go, oh, without that injury to QB, they could they could have finished around there. Now, I don't think they would have been a national title contender, but they could have finished in that, you know, five, five to eight range, no question. So I, I get it, but I just think I, – I think to me, if I'm looking at this football team, I think they're I, – I think they're talented enough where you could see them maybe on the backside of that top ten heading into the season. And part of it, too, and the point that I always bring up is I'm not projecting where a team is going to finish. That's a different discussion, in my opinion, than where a team deserves to be ranked to start the year and where a roster is on September 3rd is a whole lot different than where a roster could be on December 3rd. But we still have to be able to take these things into account. You can't assume development or anything like that. Um, With with Haynes King, and I think you've already tipped your hand here, but, you know, I I went into last year saying I, I thought he was the X factor in the SEC. And he was a guy who could really take AM ceiling and elevate it to that level. And I know based on the points that you brought up already, you were high on him. And, you know, there, there was clearly a difference between Zach Calzada and Haynes King. Like, let's just let's call it what it is at this point. Yeah. Going into this no year, though, now coming off the injury, you know, you talk about Max Johnson coming in from LSU and everybody's excited about the five star. I mean, like Wigman, this kid, Jimbo just raves about him, say he's the best player in the country. And so yeah. you look at this battle now, which is now all sorts of Interesting. Who is QB one for A and M on September third? I think it's Haynes. Um, and again, it's kind of one of those things where if it's not, they got a really good starting quarterback because he's not going to be. He's going to be very difficult to beat out. And I love the hell out of Max Johnson. I know LSU fans were lukewarm on him, and it's funny because. He was 27 touchdowns, six picks for an offense that lost how many guys, you know, starting with Boutte and then from there to injuries. It was a pretty bad offensive line. And I know LSU fans will be listening and going, well, they did this against a and Well, that's fine. If you want to pick one game out. And, and by the way, 
a lot of reason they did that had to do with Max Johnson was I mean, hell he, he walked it off essentially with the game winning perfect throw uh, with Tyree Johnson hitting him in the mouth with under 30 seconds his next pass he throws will be at Texas A&M so but yeah I think Haynes Connor that that dual threat ability I just for example that Colorado game where, where A&M just offense just shut down after that you go back and look at the play he got hurt there's one block made he's probably going 55 to the house uh, they had all this read option mixed in and and QB run game stuff like that for the not just that game but the season, and that was out the window. You know when when Zach came in, uh, Haynes is a good passer. He's especially a good passer. You know when he buys time on top of that makes him almost lethal. But here's the one thing that nobody everybody was jumping to that deal like. A&M didn't want to play against mighty Wake Forest in the bowl game. They were scared to lose their fifth game. That That's the narrative. I don't know who the hell's scared of losing game five after you've already lost four. Um, <laughs> much, less, much less of Wake, who I think was a good team this year. But it was just, look, with all A&M's opt-outs on defense, that was like a guaranteed you know, 48-41 game. Either, you know, no matter what. It's just like go have fun and play it. Jimbo was actually particularly fired up because the one thing nobody talks about, because Jimbo said to the media that they were going to roll in there with a walk-on most likely at quarterback. Haynes King practiced for all five or six of those practices for the bowl and looked spectacular. And from the top on down, they said he actually looked better than at any point during camp because apparently he was battling like a hamstring during camp. And they were saying those five or six practices were the best Haynes Kings ever looked. Uh, so it's kind of missed an opportunity to really showcase maybe him and A-Chain uh, and, and a couple of those freshman running backs, including five-star L.J. Johnson, who got about 10 carries this year. I think that would have been a fun watch to watch those two offenses go back and forth. And maybe our conversation would be a little bit different in terms of feeling like we knew a hell of a lot more about Haynes King had we seen that game. But the people inside the program said not only was he all the way back, but he actually looked better than he has at any point. I think this is a kid who is really hungry uh, to go out there and prove something. We all saw the, the viral video of uh, Seth Small's family celebrating the kick to beat Bama. I got to imagine that you witnessed and you heard about some crazy stories that night. What's, uh, what's maybe the best one that you can tell on these airwaves? Well, I, well, the one I can tell is that I didn't make it out. I was with a couple friends from out of town, and one of them went to Bama, and, and they were ready to go celebrate. I think we were going to go meet up with uh, – so that uh, Clay Travis and his crew were in town and some of my other media friends from uh, other networks and we were going to all go meet up and I was supposed to meet Johnny and that sounded fun but uh, that drive from campus to the bar district over there was literally where you could walk it we uh, drove from basically my office which is right across the street from the stadium to the other side of campus took an hour there was that much traffic that many cars the whole it was like mardi gras not even Mardi. it was just like i don't even know how to describe it um long story short we never made it anywhere between that traffic and parking and we came here to the local hotel so we're not as wild a, 
a story as you would think, but some of my funniest ones would, would probably have to do with uh, a couple of years ago after that LSU game where it's the same kind of situation, seven overtimes, and I get over there and uh, I see Kellen Mond after he won that game and a couple of the other guys and they're wearing kind of their A&M warm-ups and I said, we're, you know, they had just got there. It's so late at night. They had taken those little rental bikes, you know, that you, you know, whatever the Uber bikes or whatever they are and, and just went straight from uh, the locker room celebration to riding those across campus and pulling right up to the bar on their, on their little scooters. So, I mean, it was one of those nights, college town. I, I would say, it, I mean, we still had a blast doing what we did. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd heard plenty uh, about that night in College Station. I feel like I missed it. The last time they beat Bama, I was in Tuscaloosa uh, out celebrating with a couple of um, couple of Aggie legends there in, in at Galette's or how do you say it? Is it Galette's or it's Galette's, right? Um, I think so. That was probably that was probably my most fun post game celebration. But we were even talking this past weekend. Uh, people were kind of reminiscing about that night in College Station. Uh, namely, Johnny was reminiscing of when they got back off the team plane after that one in 2012. So just like any of those college town celebrations, I just can't imagine, Connor, uh, what would take place, what would ever take place here if A&M were to like, do what Georgia did. Now, I think Georgia, you know, look, nobody's going to think this because – Georgia's now there, and this is not me saying, hey, A&M's there, because I don't, I know there's work yet to be done, and you have to kind of just clear that hurdle, but look, A&M did this year what they, at some point, and this is why people kind of twist, not twist, but misinterpret what I'm saying. That Alabama game, you no matter that you lost four games this year, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M had to beat Alabama. The players on this team, it goes through Alabama. The players on this team now know they can beat them. Um, the culture of the program, or the fans, the donor, everybody knows that it can be done. Uh, every recruit, this 2022 class that you hope can bring you a championship, they all watched it and stormed the field. So they're coming to A&M knowing they're coming to a program that can beat Bama. Look, LSU did not, and I know they did it early, like before A&M came in the SEC when they won it. But LSU did not win a title until they were able to get past Bama that year. Georgia did not win the title until they could beat Bama. A&M's checked that box. I know they could end up being Ole Miss and they could end up being Auburn, but you have to check that box to get there. And you also have to out-recruit them or at least recruit on par with them, which A&M has also done. Um, They're close. And I think the blueprint might actually be the path that kind of Georgia's taken. When you look at style of play, this is a lot really close to being a very elite defense in college football with the talent they have on campus and they have coming in um, and they're going to run the ball they're going to be physical they're going to implement the tight ends they're finally getting I think they got two five star receivers uh, where it's going to extend that field vertically and it's kind of like nobody thought nobody thought it was going to be the quarterback that it was at Georgia they thought it was going to be several other guys right than Stetson Bennett 
But the point is they finally got the quarterback thing where they needed it, even though it wasn't, uh, you know, the way it was drawn up. But I think if it, A&M's – I think if they win the thing, if they win an SEC title, they win a national title, they go to multiple playoffs, I think the formula is more like what you saw Georgia do than necessarily Bama, who just kind of changed things up midstream under Saban and just went wide open on offense. And maybe the defense is a little more – Vulnerable than it's been in years past. I look at Georgia and I go, A and M could look like that in a couple of years. I got to circle back to 2012, uh, Johnny. <laughs> after that game, best story that he's told you uh, following that night in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. The story. I mean, oh no, it was just that. I mean, they literally were. I mean, I. I when I say carrying him out of the bar, I'm barely exaggerating. I mean, this was uh, Johnny was. I, it was. It was funny because I always kind of observed it, and and we would always talk. You know, Al. You know, I'm a I'm a single guy, and at that time it was ten years ago, and nowadays my going out here in town is more of me getting out of town to Dallas or Houston or traveling, but. Nowadays, it's more like when people come in town, you know, and they want me to entertain, you know, hey, let's go. You know, it's more of that type thing, including Johnny, who was here a couple of weeks ago. It's it's more that than anything else. But uh, we would always joke and say, he'd be like, hey, when I'm done, because I'd always say, I'm not going to go be in every bar with you. I mean, like, I'm just tired of what people say, social media and what they, you know, the perception. He's like, when I'm done, we're, we're going on, you know, I said, that's fine. That's deal, deal done. And, and we did do that. And we had, I think a summer where we went from Boston to Toronto to Cabo to LA to San Diego with me stopping off at SEC media days in between. And it was about as fun as you'd imagine, you know, there's been, weekends with you know doing the whole do a weekend of partying with johnny and gronk in vegas which it's exactly what you think it would be in terms of how fun it was and wild but during that year i you know that that heisman year and even the year after i just kind of observed it was just funny to watch like uh you'd have i'd be taking members of the media out you know the national sports and college football media. And then we'd go to a kind of a low key bar or even a college bar and say, Hey, where's Johnny at? Is he going to be around? And, and the, just the people that wanted to, and then all the former A&M players, my friends that would come in town and they'd be like, well, where's, you know, where's Johnny? They just want to see like, and then anytime they would come across seeing that scene, they were just like, this is insane. Like it was, it was a weird, it was a, it was a crazy time in college station. And like people like, you know, Feldman Staples, Jen Brown, Kaylee Hartung. And when any of my usual buddies that were covering college football at the time that were in town and we'd go, you know, go have dinner and, you know, at one of those sports bars or something, they, you'd, you'd see the circus come through and just be like, "Wow, this is this is this is just different." It was a different, you know, because Tim Tebow wasn't out like that. I wouldn't imagine um, at that time, and and Johnny coincided, Connor, right, with social media exploding. Um, yep. 
Johnny coincided with Twitter, really. You know, 2012, 2013, the explosion of that, and he kind of was, he kind of was the the first, you know, he kind of was one of the first. And the, the funniest thing to me was that whole Alabama game, which led to the Heisman, which led to the whole thing, right? That was really close, I think, to not I – mean, I don't know if they would have suspended him, but there was like a limit on classes missing, like then AD Eric Hyman would would tolerate, or you know, there was like a pretty hard and fast rule for the athletes, and, and he was pretty strict about that and, and, you know, wouldn't really relent. And A&M fans would randomly wonder why a certain guy didn't play this week or that week in games, and it was because – if they miss any athlete, miss a certain amount of classes, uh, they were automatically suspended from the following, I guess, week's game. Well, if you remember that Scooby-Doo thing, right? You know the Scooby-Doo it's... costume with Johnny and the Halloween. Oh, that's right. That, Gosh, that's so long ago. So that was point. on a that's crazy. That, yeah, that was on a that was on a Thursday night prior to the Mississippi State game. Oh, that's right. So. You can imagine them trying to find, you know, Johnny. And I believe that might have been, uh, it was a, one of the GAs, you know, quarterback GAs, trying to find Johnny and uh, in the morning to get him to make sure he didn't miss class. I guess he was at his limit, you know. And AD had about a hundred percent track record of following through on those suspensions. And as as legend has it, they found him and and basically pulled him out of where he was. You know, uh, the next morning, Friday morning after that Thursday night Scooby Doo, got him to class at the last possible second. And had they not found him and done that, like roommates, like I don't know where he is. Had they not done that. Uh, there are a lot of people that say no. He would have been suspended for the Alabama game the following week, and oh and then what does that do like to the college football history, to the legend of Johnny Football, to the whole thing, right? So that's one of those little stories that that just kind of you know not well known around here, but enough people know about it. But it's pretty legendary. How different is Johnny's what life if that? Yeah, right. Like that's that's what I always want to know with Johnny is the the sliding doors. It's like what if what if that night doesn't happen against Alabama that day rather, and it, yeah. it's just it, it's a it's a hard fought game, but there's no viral play. A and M loses. It's a tough like you know one score game. What what does Johnny's Johnny Manziel's life look like if if that win doesn't happen? It's so weird, right? Because. I just think it was kind of the way things played out for him was was meant to play out that way. Not just it's not just an A and M thing too. You know, it's it's a college football thing. It's a his it's a his life thing, and it's been cool to watch him continue to evolve. I mean, he's been through it. You know, like um, you know when you when you don't achieve what people expect you to achieve on on such a grand stage, and you kind of you know there's a lot of it that you you know you self-sabotage there and so people like to pile on but yeah just to see him his growth the last couple of years and he still has his fun and does his thing but it's been cool to watch you know he's we've kind of had a 
kind of a brotherly relationship, friendship for the last, you know, decade now. But yeah, who knows? We talk about that a lot. He always talks about had he come back one more year. He always talks about had he gotten kicked out of A&M, you know, for the trouble he got in prior when no one knew who he was prior to his freshman year, you know, when he'd gotten arrested during that off season for fight. And, uh, you know, he was about to transfer and, and go play somewhere else. And no one would have known or cared at, you know, at A&M. He was, he was an unknown to people that weren't really plugged in to the program. He had just redshirted. You went through a coaching change. So it is wild, these little, you know, had A.J. McCarron not been picked off by DeShazer Everett on the goal line at the end of that game, like you said, it's a great game and 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 A&M loses it and does he win, does he win the Heisman. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing, is, it's crazy how things, it's always sport, it's all, that always in sports, but when you talk about something like, it kind of reminds me like a Joe Burrow in LSU, mm. right? Like, I remember a longtime D coordinator texting me before A and M played LSU in 2018, and he said, "You guys should beat LSU, but watch out for that quarterback. So he's way better than he gets credit for. Like he he can he can throw better than people think. I mean, he's like they don't use him right, but he said that he could he can throw the hell out of it, and he's just." He just doesn't want to lose, man. He's like, that dude will beat you by himself. And that night, I watched Joe Burrow. People forget this. In, 20, in that seven-overtime game, Joe Burrow ran for 100-and-something yards. Yep. And he made every damn play down the stretch. But so did A&M as a team to win that game. And then he didn't lose the game from that day on in college football, and he keeps doing it. So it is always, like I think in all college football, like what if Ed O doesn't hire uh, – you know Joe, Joe Brady. Brady. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that's what makes the sport so great, isn't it? I I'm always fascinated to know like okay, so so Johnny's rise and you talk about it. It's like it's the beginning of this this Twitter boom and and he is kind of the guy. He's the sacrificial lamb in many ways as this athlete who is out yeah. there and there are so many athletes who if they were in his exact same position but just in a different era, they would have been criticized in the same exact way, but for a site like yours that you you guys are just getting to the point at at that time with Texags where it's like, "Hey, the internet now, this this is a a mainstream media and you can now be a website you don't need to be a newspaper to be able to to function and have a respectable following how did that kind of coincide yeah. with with your rise and your origins to kind of get you guys to a place where you guys were i mean you guys had in your own backyard the the internet gold that any, that anybody could have dreamed of the timing was perfect for texags in a couple at a couple of like key inflection points and one was when I was, you know, kind of like coming out of school with my degree from the College of Engineering and had no had no desire to do to use that degree. And kind of my roommate at the time was actually a guy by the name of Dan Campbell, who oh yeah I know you and the listeners have heard of. He's the head coach of the Lions now, and there were a couple of others guys, Shane Leckler, who probably probably a future Hall of Famer, uh, you know, for the Raiders and Texans. And we, I was just sitting there trying to hang out a little more. You know, that was right before a and won the Big 12 title. 
and that was our, our little crew. Uh, Dante Hall was there back then. It was a fun time at A&M, and I was writing for a little magazine, and there was a website, you know, that had just started called Tex Ags, and then they I, I purchased a, uh, or I started working for it. I didn't purchase yet, a little publication where I was just kind of writing about recruiting and A&M football. I remember calling Alan Cannon and saying, hey, can I, their SID, I'm doing the, I'm taking over the publication for Doug Walker, who you probably have worked with before. He worked at Alabama and everywhere else. And, and he said, well, you can't, you're, you're not credentialed. You can't interview him. I said, well, I live with him, so I'm going to interview him anyway. And well, me and AC always <laughs> joke about that. I definitely didn't get off on, on the right foot, but that was kind of, you know, it was, still literally still in college and was conducting interviews in my living room uh, as uh, you know before we were going out at night or whatever so it it, that timing to kind of sit down with the guys at tech sags and it was my my business partner and i and say look we've got the content y'all built this this website we need a mode of delivery let's get it going and we beat we beat the, the the rush, you know, like it's like the, you know, the settlers moving. But like we beat we we beat the gold rush out there. Not not that we're swimming in gold right now, but we beat everybody uh, and and got in first, you know, in terms of these big sites and and combining that and the major audience with content and. Um, right when these networks were really starting up where every school has four or five sites from a network. So we got in ahead of that. The second time was at 2012 because I got to cover the SEC, you know, the conference realignment kind of put, I guess, my name and TechSag simultaneously on the map outside of A&M and like outside of the Aggies and Longhorns, you know, and it went because the Big 12 really still always felt like a regional conference. So then all of a sudden, yep. all these SEC people started. And then, you, see, you know, I started, you know, Paul uh, was nice enough to have me on. People were telling him I knew what was going on in the realignment. So I was kind of out in front of that. And uh, and then all of a sudden, Kevin Sumlin comes in with Cliff Kingsbury and this offense. And it, it takes the SEC by storm in year one. And then, uh, and then obviously, Johnny was the, the thing that pushed it over the top in terms of not only A&M being able to win right off the bat, but uh, just to create this this frenzy. I remember we were building our new offices and studio right there across from campus. And th- here's the thing. We were not operating from that building uh, directly across George Bush Drive from the stadium. We were not operating from there until... Uh, we were not there until literally we said let we got to get the signage up before the, we weren't even in there, but we got to put the big Texag sign up before the LSU game. LSU was coming to College Station. It was you know going to be a hundred plus thousand there. Uh, it was a day game on a Saturday in October, mid season. We said we have to have the giant Texag signage up on the building, uh, and, and we got that done just in time. So. That was that was about so just to kind of give you an example of how we grew along with this move to the SEC. So both times it was definitely uh, you know perfect timing for us, and we were just kind of lucky for it to go that way. 
You guys are also in early on the NIL game and you made national headlines yep. for it, which was probably worth whatever it was. It was like, what, like 10 grand, I remember, if I, if I remember correctly, yeah. to have these one-on-one -on -one player interviews. What did, what did you kind of take away from, from that whole process now that you've been doing it for the last like six months or so? Yeah, well, for starters, I'm torn on NIL. I hate it, but I love the players getting paid for their name, image, and likeness. I hate the lack of regulation and the craziness. And even we started this thing called Stacked, where it's essentially, you know, people are paying for it. It's almost like an ESPN Plus or a HBO Max, whatever you want to call it. And we're calling it TechSag Stacked, where you're stacking onto your subscription, and it's going to be all kind of NIL content. And people are just paying extra, and we're essentially paying uh, paying to do these interviews. And if people want to sponsor them, they can sponsor them for an amount too and the players are gonna uh the athletes are gonna be the primary beneficiary and what they're doing is coming on and giving us this original content that in today's day and age as you know connor it's hard to get out of particularly football programs with coaches and they don't want their kids being able to sit there you know like most coaches aren't going to want you know, their player to go run and do the Saturday Down South podcast where they're not in, a, you know, the, the you know, the bosom of, of the athletic department sitting there with five SIDs and, and right. everything in that controlled environment. Well, now, it, now it's opened that up and, and the fans love it and the kids love it and they get to, not only do they get compensated, but they also... I mean, they love coming in there, and none of them have said anything ridiculous that's gotten them or the program or anybody in, you know, the bad wrong side of headlines. And, and but they love sitting at a desk and being able to feel like they're on sports center. I think it helps with them opening up. I've watched some of these kids go from being really shy to opening up. Michael Clemens was a great example of that, and I see the parents come in, and we forget. We forget they're 18 to 22, and some of them have never sat down for a one-on-one -on -one interview to talk about themselves or to really talk about football and, and the games that were and the games coming up. And it just – I think it's it's been absolutely badass for, for what we're doing for those – for the development for the kids in terms of just comfort in front of a mic. For like, a lot of these guys have told me, man – I feel like I'm ready to go do like these interviews at the combine and stuff. I'm just yeah. they're comfortable sitting in a one-on-one -on -one and talking to a camera and where it used to be just 10 minutes with a gaggle of reporters, no flow question here, question there. What about what's your favorite, you know, you know, just whatever. And uh, so we did that, but what I hate, man, and it's a problem in my opinion, is just the, there's just there's no no regulation on where it can go with a hundred and something different schools and every school with X number of programs and you know countless probably promises during recruiting from every you know every coach in America and doing promising God knows what and then you have I think people that whatever the line was before now if you could do this there's still going to be people going past that line so now you probably have so many people that are literally these recruits that are probably getting paid from 25 percent 40 percent 50 whatever it is 
of programs around the country before they even step foot on campus, which, by the way, is still illegal. And signing deals and agreeing to deals before you're there is still illegal. So it's just everybody thinks, you know, the, room, the, the, the way people operate, I feel like, you know, they're writing and talking about is like, well, hell, it's all legal now. Well, no, it's not. And, and there is still a compliance element and there is still it's just so unknown and I just think when you hear things about a kid getting promised you know I say that you know with uh, it was like Quinn Ewers I read you know and I don't know what's true or not who the heck knows anymore but first round draft pick money you know to go to Texas and if that's true and it's done legally I mean there's doesn't seem to be a cap between one dollar and first round money but if that's where we're going with it, I mean, it just sounds, it just sounds insane. It really does. And here's the problem, Connor, and I don't, I don't know if you guys have talked about this. These college head coaches now have to recruit every player on their roster for every, every game, every year, every day, every practice. Because every time they go home pissed off if they're not playing enough yet or if they've had a, you know, not get enough balls for a couple weeks, they could be at Georgia, Bama, doesn't matter. As soon as they go, they're, they're as far away from being recruited by the good guy, which is the coach they didn't pick that's not, you know, pushing them every day, telling them to get to class, telling them. They're as far away as their phone and their DMs from being told, hey, we'll get you a great NIL deal. We'll get you. You've got seniors playing at schools where they're good, where they're good, transferring to other programs, you know, for no other reason but to because they're promised more money. I've heard of guys come coming around saying that they've been offered at other schools a million dollars to go play. And you're talking about like middle round draft picks who I'm not talking about A&M kids. I'm talking about college football in general, million dollars from schools for like a middle round draft pick to get them away from their current school as a senior. It's like, you're not making them. They're not, no one's signing, paying a, a fourth round pick. That's a, maybe a second team, all conference guy, a million dollars, but, but it's just yeah. fake. It's just, it's a real problem. And there's no, I don't think there's any stopping. And you know, another problem is, some message board says A&M paid $30 million for their recruiting class. It's the biggest load of crap. It's just, can, can I, I don't want to cuss on your show. I know, but it's the biggest load of you know what that I've ever heard in my 25 plus years of covering this. It's laughable. It's like, first of all, I'm going to tell you, DeMarvin Leal, Kenyon Green, they'd be staying instead of being first round picks. <laughs> That's true. That That's money fair. Going, much less much less guys like Leon O'Neal and Tyree Johnson and Jalen Widemeyer and Isaiah Spiller. Like for, the first thing you would do with that thirty million is keep every one of those guys and go win a national title next year. That's number one. You'd still have about twenty million to go around. So it's absurd. But let me tell you the problem it creates is that goes from some OU message board and some complete jackass that heard something from some you know drunk guy that said, oh, I know, I know, I know the people doing it at A&M. It's $30 million. That's the highest thing. <laughs> it's some drunk longhorn that tells a, a gullible jackass sooner that posts it on a message board, an OU message board, and then 
whatever the hell bro bible is picks it up and then everybody else i say i I hear credible people that i like on xm radio that are kind of trying to credit a&m hey a&m played the game the right way you know 30 million dollars you can do it in oil money like uh texas a&m is just big oil just 30 million like it's nothing i mean does anybody know how hard it is to raise up 30 million dollars and get a bunch of people say we're just going to give this away like it's just and i know for a fact how ridiculous the whole thing is but my point is that gets preached as as gospel whether people are trashing it or giving it credit or whatever and let me ask let me paint this picture to you because i bet you a lot of people haven't thought about this imagine all the kids and parents on the a&m team that are starters and playing and seniors and whatever and they read you know just like everyone else they see twitter and they see stuff preached as fact whether it is or not and it's not something that jimbo fisher typically is just going to go and like put it on put out a press release saying it's a ridiculous exact you know you just kind of just put your head down and keep going um it's very awkward and uncomfortable and the thing is imagine all those kids and they're sitting there and the families and going oh well all those that freshman class 30 million dollars well what are we getting so it's it has created like and it's going to happen everywhere because it's not just at that number but it's going to be all the kids coming back go man you guys just signed top you know queen ewers got paid this much what about Bijan robinson and xavier worthy yep. and every program is going to oh, bryce young got a million dollars at alabama you know saban mentioned that at sec media days he got a million what about me what about me you know so and man it's just the you know the horses are out of the stable on this thing and i don't, I don't know how you rein it back in but they better figure something out quick I want to get you out of here with five rapid fire questions. This has been awesome. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. First one. This is obvious. Uh, say something nice about the university of Texas. (laughs) My sister went there. (laughs) No, I, I have so many good friends that went there and played there and, um, yeah, I, I'll say something else. And coach, a coach there right now, you know, Jeff Banks and Terry Joseph, I think the world of those guys. So, yeah, I've, I have more nice to say about Texas than people would think. Really good in baseball. Um, <laughs> over under 1,500 yards for uh, Devon H. in 2022. That's a good question. I'm going to say, I'm going to say over. I think he. I think if uh, if they want him to be and they use him a certain way, I think he's a Heisman candidate. Dang, yeah, I think that's perfectly I think fair. He's that good. I heard a crazy stat, Connor. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard a crazy stat that like seventy percent of A and M's scoring drives last year, and, and scoring attempts, field goal attempts, field goals, and touchdowns. I, I, I'd really want to research this because it sounded wild to me, but whoever told me, I, I trust. 70% A-Chain was was the primary back, which is crazy because Spiller is a stud. He might be the first back drafted. 
I believe that. And I'm, I'm excited for people that yeah. once they dig into a little bit more of his skill set, I think this offseason he'll he'll start to get a lot more buzz around kind of awards, preseason award season, all that stuff as well. People are going to focus on like, oh, you're losing Spiller in the NFL draft. It's like, well, you know, A-Chain coming back is going to be, I think, really, really special. Um, okay. Yeah. Debunk the notion that A&M student body population is 85% dudes. <laughs> It's like the notion that they're all in the core, and there's been some. The core produces incredible people every year in the workforce and you know society. They're great representatives of A&M, but man, if you watch TV, you think everyone. I think it's about three thousand or so out of sixty thousand. So um, it's not. I promise. There was a time where it literally was true. So I don't think they'll ever totally escape that. <laughs> and the yell and the yell leaders again, who I think are just badass, and everybody, you know, they're a lightning rod. If you've ever come to a game here, you know how, how essential they are to the atmosphere at Kyle Field and the spirit. But yeah, I mean, when you're seeing the the yell practice or the yell leaders in the core, and you go with the history, I get it. But it's more than fifty percent female. More than 50%. That is factual. And from when I got here, from when I got here in, in the early, mid-90s mid, mid 90s till now, um, A&M has come a long way e- even during that time in that department, trust me. I'm going to exclude my guy, Antonio Johnson, from this because I think outside of Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, he's the third best SEC defensive player coming back in 2022. But who is the A&M player that we need to be talking about more heading into next season? So no Antonio, and we've said A-Chain. I think uh, I, if I'm going, I'd go offense, Nia Smith, and defensively, I think Edger and Cooper is a guy who could be on the verge of really emerging at linebacker. You know, he, he you go back, I would say just go back and watch like the Auburn game last season for a real kind of flash of what he can do. But I think Edger and Cooper is a guy that uh, has a chance to be a uh, kind of like, an, he's kind of a year behind in the same class as Antonio Johnson, I think kind of a year behind him in that regard where this this is his his junior year is going to be his breakout year where for Antonio it was his sophomore season, but equally as talented. I remember when they signed that class, Mike Elko felt like um, those two guys had a chance to be as good as anybody in the SEC uh, at their position. And I think the other one too, Tyreek Chappelle, started every game or not every game started as a true freshman three-star last year um, and you talk about baptized by fire I think it's second start maybe it was against Alabama and Jamison Williams and, and Mechie and uh, he just grew from there and, and he got tested a lot good bad and different but I think I think Cooper and, and uh, Chappelle are going to be studs next year on that defense. I want you to complete the plaque for me uh, Jimbo wins a national title in the year 20 <laughs> what? And by the way, I'm torn between hating the plaque and thinking it's the most overblown. <laughs> it's kind of like Jimbo, even though he got it done and beat Bama. These are things that are done within, you know, the confines of like the, you know, the, the, the uh, like a, a luncheon with all Aggies and a function and then like people get a hold of it. And I get it. That's what we do. I would do the same to other fan bases. But <laughs> man, Connor, I'm going to. 
I'm going to keep it close, and I'm going to say 2023. Dang, I'm going to I'm going to do that. I mean, you know, I can everybody can laugh if they go and lose four games in 23, and we'll, I'll laugh with you. But I I think with this recruiting class, they go into year two. They're no longer freshmen. The class that were freshmen this year had four starters in it, plus, you know, multiple, I think three or four other five stars that didn't even really get a chance to play yet. So that class will be in year three. This number one ranked class, you know, as they say, they're no longer freshmen. They'll be in year two. So I think the sophomore junior group will be as good as any in college football, including the ones in Tuscaloosa and Athens. And then you're also going to return a starting quarterback and probably four of your five start no linemen. So I think I think that's that's the year, that's the breakthrough. Billy, this has been great, man. Really, really appreciate the time. Keep up the, the great work and everything you're doing over there. Oh yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on Tech Eggs Radio. I know I'm never on there on that day, but I always listen, so appreciate you doing yeah. that. I appreciate all y'all do at, at Saturday. I always think you're, you're always ducking me every time I go on there. I got, you know, <laughs> I, I'm on there with David and it's like, oh, Billy just decided not to not to show up today. That's cool. What's whatever. Hey, it, it's it's even worse when like Mondays when we have Burns and Tom Hart back to back and during the season. And those are like, you know, some of my best friends in the business. And, and like we'll uh, Mondays, I'm so busy with the writing and, and doing these NIL interviews right after the show. Then I'm like, yeah, it kind of times up where if I skip one of the two, you know, because they're back to back. So trust me, I catch hell because I really am ducking them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not ducking y'all. I'm ducking having to do radio for two hours. So, yeah, I'll, I'll sneak in and surprise you one day. Well, I absolutely love it. Billy, really appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. All right, Connor. Thanks, buddy. All right, wanted to talk some SEC hoops with our guy, Adam Spencer. Loaded, loaded slate on Saturday, and it's been a very eventful week. But first, Adam, you're a Packers fan. You're living in 49ers country. I'm just saying a Bears legend, Robbie Gold, kicked the game-winning field goal to send the Packers home without a Super Bowl appearance for the 11th consecutive season. And before you tell me, oh, what do the Bears do? You should know that I acknowledge that I root for a rinky-dink organization and your words can't hurt me. I've got to ask, have you recovered yet? Well, Connor, this has been, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, I have not recovered. That was a, a not great loss, um, but that happens uh, with the 49ers. They just can't beat the 49ers and apparently neither can the Rams. So we'll see how that game goes on Sunday. But uh, yeah, I was not happy with this. I was expecting another painful NFC championship game loss. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I would not, I'm at the point right now, we'll see if that changes before next season, but I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, just go ahead and trade Aaron Rodgers for a bunch of first round picks. Let's, uh, let's find our next hall of fame quarterback and, uh, and go from there. So uh, I do like, I do like the move that the bears made though today. I mean, yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, the good, besides, you know, the Bears are going to do what the Bears are going to do. That's irrelevant at this point. But, like, the good news for you is that being an owner, you can make these moves, right? Yeah, I'm already on the phone with the Denver Broncos. Uh, I got to get my guy Drew Locke to, to, as part of the package. Uh, that's non-negotiable. 
uh, three first round picks and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe another receiver since Devonte Adams might be gone too. So we'll see. Uh, Wait a minute. Yeah, I'm working the phones. Are we, are we going to see Drew Locke in Green Bay? I mean, if you think about it, if you trade for Aaron Rodgers, then you don't need Drew Locke anymore, right? So um, I, I might as well take a flyer on him, right? We don't know what Jordan Love has, so get, get some competition in there. And uh, Drew Locke, you know he has a heck of an arm. Let's see what he can do with the coach who isn't putting him down every five seconds in the media. You know, let's bring uh, Vic Fangio back as defense coordinator of the Bears. That's that's what we really need. And uh, hopefully, well, actually, that would work out perfect. Get it, get get Drew Locke in Green Bay, and then Vic Fangio can be Bears defense coordinator. He would obviously know how to defend against him because he just spent the last three years attacking him. So, and I would well. hope, I would, I would pray that Drew Locke gets the chance to do the "I still own you" thing that Aaron Rodgers did this year. So. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. I, I promise. I did not have you on just to make Packers jokes at your expense. You're also a Cardinals fan. No, we will we'll save that for off there. We won't go there. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens if there's even a season this year. Oh God. I mean, heaven forbid that, that would be, that would be absolutely brutal. That's the last thing baseball needs at this point. Um, but yeah, want to talk some hoops with you because tons and tons of storylines in the sec. And I feel like we're really kind of, we're, we're, we're getting to this crescendo and especially with Auburn number one team in the country, first time ever. And it seemed like Bruce Pearl's team was pretty intent on giving that number one ranking away immediately afterwards against your Missouri Tigers. Was that brutal offensive showing just a sign? Was it a sign of some bigger issues or was it maybe just kind of a one-off on one of those weird nights in the sec that we'll probably forget about in a month? I think there were a couple of factors in play. I think that uh, I think that Auburn reached that number one ranking for the first time in school history and like sort of breathed a sigh of relief and uh, were feeling good about themselves and then uh, maybe overlooked the Tigers a little bit, just like Alabama did. But, uh, you know, I also think that it's, it's a sign of a good team that they still won that game. You know, the defensive effort was still there. Like Alabama gave up like 90 some odd points to – Mizzou that's a lack of focus Auburn was just not hitting anything offensively but they were still playing defense like their defense was really good uh they took away Kobe Brown for the most part um so you know I think that that was just an off night Jabari Smith's gonna have some off nights Uh, it's not he's not I know we're gonna talk about the Kevin Durant comparison in a bit but he's got that those flashes of brilliance, he doesn't have the consistency yet. So he's going to have those off nights still. And uh, that was one of them. And uh, we saw late that Katie Johnson was the guy who's just like, you know, another Katie, you know, he's, uh, he's like, I, I got this guys. Uh, he, there's nothing Katie Johnson loves more than uh, making a big bucket and flexing towards the cameras and yelling towards the crowd. So, uh, you know, I also think too, that the atmosphere in Mizzou arena, you know, the, it was, uh, it wasn't as crazy and pro Auburn, as Saturday's home game against Kentucky was obviously, you know, that was uh, just an intent. They were feeding off that energy, but Mizzou arena, you know, three quarters empty and the quarter that did show up, the student section was packed. So credit to the Mizzou students for that, because that was an awesome showing by the students, not so much from the rest of the Mizzou fan base, but uh, you know, that I think that that just maybe threw off Auburn a little bit, but I, I I see that as a one-off. I'm not, I'm not concerned about them moving forward. I think they take care of business against, Oklahoma this weekend you touched on it right there the Jabari Smith Kevin Garnett comp you love making it I know I, I've seen that a few times and uh, Kevin Durant comp 
Oh, Kevin Durant com, not Kevin Garnett. Yeah. My bad. My not bad. Kevin That's Garnett, right. Yeah. Okay. So I want to push back on that a touch, just a touch, because KD is on such a different level as, as a scorer, and obviously, like he was at Texas as well. And I see some of the similarities because you see the way that he strokes it. And that's, that's the thing that you look at and you're just like, all right, you, I don't know that you can teach having a shot like that at that size, he's going to be able to get a shot off against anyone. And that's an incredible thing to, to, to kind of see in somebody that young. I see Len bias and the late Len bias, someone who like, obviously everybody has that big what if, so maybe that's kind of part of it. And maybe my brain is clouded with the, with the KD comp just because of like the fact that he is what he is now established in the NBA. But I, I, I thought I was going to be the first one to come up with the Len bias take. And I admittedly like jumped on Twitter and I was like, I wonder if anybody's come up with this. And I saw like six different people had come up with that, but where do you kind of sit on, on all that? Yeah, I you know obviously he's not Kevin Durant yet, but this is I just think that that's the comp. You know, I think that when you look at his jump shot, even though he struggled, he went two for fifteen against Mizzou. But one of the two shots that he did make from the floor, he take he catches it at the three point line, takes one hard dribble to the left, two defenders come toward him, he just goes straight up, nails a ridiculously tough jumper. That's that's a brutally tough shot. And he does his jab step is already pro grade. Like he creates that amount of space and his release is just so high on his shot. It's almost impossible to block. I don't even think Walker Kessler could block his shot. So, you know, I, I I think that that that's the sort of prowess that I see from him. He just doesn't have the volume yet. KD played almost 36 minutes a game during his one year at Texas. Jabari's, averaging under 26 minutes a game right now so you know the the volume's not there and when he is on the court he's not even necessarily the number one offensive threat on every single possession they're not running the offense through him um so you know they they because they they like to have the ball in uh, zep jasper wendell green's hands and uh katie johnson they like to run that pick and roll game with walker kessler <laughs> i mean when you have him in the middle just able to throw down anything that you put within five feet of the rim. You know, it's like, like, why wouldn't you run that more often than not? But what Jabari can do is when he gets the ball, he can create his own shot with that jab step. One thing I would like to see him do more is use the jab step, do a pump fake and then put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. I think he needs to work on uh, his finishing around the rim and his getting to the free throw line, drawing some contact. That's what I want to see him work on down the stretch here. But, uh, yeah, just the fact that he doesn't, the offense doesn't run through him. So that's where the comparison kind of falls apart because, you know, most teams with Kevin Durant get the ball to Kevin Durant as often as possible. But I think he has that potential in his future. And, uh, you know, if he ends up somewhere like the uh, Orlando Magic, let's there say, who are in there running for the number one pick, you know, watching him and Jalen Suggs play. I mean, now that's that's something that the Magic can finally start to build on, I think. Yeah, and look, I I push back just because KD just seems like a unicorn. And there are so few, like, he seems like a one-of-one, one, to borrow a phrase from from Bill Simmons that's, that's used oftentimes. But, like, I look at somebody like Jabari Smith, and I wonder, do you have that mean streak to be able to develop it in the way that we kind of saw from KD? And, like, you know, everybody was critical of KD because he was being compared to Odin, but, like, in, in a different year, KD is the number one pick. We don't think twice about it, and it's not really a big deal. 
And you know this this space a lot better than I do in this debate. The debate is going to be, you know, it's going to continue for the next several months with with Smith. But like, what's what's maybe the one thing that would prevent him from like getting this this number one, number two overall type of draft buzz? Like, bar, like besides injury, obviously. Like, is there anything else that you could see like kind of falling apart for him? Uh, just what I mentioned. I think that he needs to show that he can. I would like to see a little bit more of an improved, uh, you know, putting the ball on the floor, um, his handle. Uh, I would like to see him get to the rim more, uh, you know, with, with the ball, drive the ball, not just get to the rim and then throw down like an alley-oop or something, which he's perfectly capable of doing. Um, but I think other than that, like his jump shot is pro grade already. His defense is good. Uh, he's, he's a little more physical than KD was at this point. He's a little bit True, stronger yeah. with that frame than uh, KD was at this point. I mean, you know, the famous thing was, uh, you know, at the, at the NBA combine, I don't the think benching. KD could do one rep of the bench, which doesn't matter. Obviously he's proven that, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I think Jabari is a little stronger with that frame that he has. And uh you know, I, and defensively, I mean, there was that possession late in the Kentucky game on Saturday where Keon Brooks was trying to back him down. And I mean, like, really trying to back him down. Jabari stood his ground and then swatted the ball into, like, the third row when Keon tried to go up for, for a shot. So, I like his defense. I like his jump shot. I like his, uh, yeah, I like his attitude. I like the way that he fits into a team setting. And, uh you know, I just think that uh, getting to the free throw line, getting to the rim more often is the one thing that uh, would prevent him from uh, being the number one overall pick, really. Uh, and I think that's a three-man race at this point between Paolo Bancaro and uh, Chet Holmgren and then Jabari, obviously. I got a trivia question for you. This, this is a little bit tricky. I'm gonna, we're we're going to weave in and out here, but I want to see if you, can, if you can stick with me and get this. So barring injury – Unlike a Ben Simmons or an Anthony Edwards, we might see a non-Kentucky number one pick from the SEC potentially play for a title contender. So if we exclude Kentucky, the last time that we have seen a top five draft pick from the SEC play in one NCAA tournament game before entering the NBA draft was 10 years ago. There's crazy thoughts. Let me, let me repeat that because I know that's a little bit okay. long-winded. Yeah. If we exclude Kentucky – the last time we've seen a top five draft pick from the SEC play in one SEC t- or play in one NCAA tournament game before entering the NBA draft was ten years ago. Do you have any guesses on who that player was? Ten years ago, so that's probably a little late for Noah and Horford. So since then, um, let's see. Was it? trying to think of a Tennessee guy maybe, but uh, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm going to say the Corey Brewer. I don't know where he was picked. I think yeah, Corey, because Corey Brewer was, was that same year. Right school though. Had the right school. Bradley was it Beal. Chandler Park? Oh, Bradley Beal. Beal. Okay. Bradley Beal. Okay. So I had the right school. Which is Bradley like, Beal, good. Th- that's cool in my opinion. Like to be able to, to see these guys who would like, yeah, like we're, and I say that to exclude Kentucky just because in the SEC, we're used to seeing right. that, you know, we're used to the Carl Anthony Towns of the world and, and seeing guys like that, the Anthony Davis is the guys on this stage, but to be able to see that is another, you know, is another positive development, obviously for, for SEC basketball in general. Um, the Bruce Pearl stuff, 
Bruce Pearl, Louisville rumors got fired up at a very convenient time. I saw Matt Jones make the comp of like Cal leaving Memphis for Kentucky. And if Pearl were to leave Auburn uh, for Louisville, it would be similar. And I'm not really fully on board with that just because I think there's more sustainability at Auburn. And Cal was about to avoid some sanctions at Memphis, whereas Pearl just kind of like worked his way through that. And we're also talking about a university that paid a football coach $23 million to go away after a winning SEC season. So that's a little bit different than the way that the Memphis athletic department operates. How do you see that playing out with, with with Pearl and Louisville? And do you think that ultimately just ends up being, hey, Auburn breaks the bank for him? I think that this is a leverage play from Pearl. I don't think he wants to leave Auburn. Uh, I think he's flattered by the attention from Louisville. And if Louisville calls, then you take that call 100%. I I don't blame him for that. But uh, February 4th, I mean, that's the date to circle in your calendar. I believe that's the date that the Auburn Board of Trustees is meeting. Um, And on the agenda there are some significant upgrades to the basketball facilities. That's what Pearl wants. Yeah. That's what Pearl wants. He wants – he wants – Kentucky level. He wants Florida level basketball facilities. He wants to compete nationally with, uh, you know, he wants Louisville level basketball facilities, frankly. And uh, SEC boosters have deep pockets. SEC schools have deep pockets with the revenue money and stuff. So I think this is the classic uh, leverage play. I think he wants those things, but I think if they say no, for some reason in that February 4th meeting, uh, he's also willing to walk for the Louisville job if, if it's still available to him at that time. So, you know, this is, this is, but I, I think his first choice. And I think, you know, if you, you know, put some truth serum in his coffee or something, I think he would say, I want to stay at Auburn because I mean, he's built something and it, it's tough. Louisville is a all time great program, but it's not an all time great program right now. Auburn's the number one team right now. And, uh, you know, that, that's easier to sustain than uh, rebuilding yet another program for, for Pearl at this stage of his career. So, uh, you know, but Auburn's administration's on the clock now. You got to get him the facilities that he can compete with, and uh, then he'll be happy, I think. Yeah, it's like Pearl's 62, you know. <laughs> He's right. 62. He's been doing this for a while. And, and I look at that situation, and I totally get, like, I, I think all the points he made are 100% valid. Like, they're – their capacity is what, like 9,200 or something. And they fill it, which is incredible to right. see in that atmosphere. It's intimate. It kind of adds to, to the mystique of it. And I, I, I get why he would go to, go to the table and say, hey, look, this is what we need to be able to get done if we're going to be able to sustain this level of recruiting. And that kind of makes the thing go. And it's what takes you to the next level. But yeah, I just come back to like, and I'm saying this as an Indiana grad who has heard about all these different candidates and they're going to poach this coach and they're going to poach that coach. And I hear it all the time and I end up looking up and kind of being like, do 18 to 22 year old kids really see the program in the same sort of way? Because that's the question I have with Louisville, which has one national championship in the last 35 years and it was vacated. I mean, not on Rick Pitino's tattoos, but um, you know, like that's, so like, that's, that's the thing that I come back to with this, with this Pearl thing, but it is going to be interesting. And it's going to be a storyline that I'm sure so many people will continue to watch. Um, I know you're going to have a fire take on this. Kentucky and Kansas, huge showdown in Lawrence this weekend. Over under 20 more fouls called on Kentucky compared to Kansas. <laughs> I mean, you know, what's, uh, you know, if 20 fouls are whistled on, on Kentucky, that'll be 20 more than are whistled on Kansas, right? So, <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, yeah, the, that's, a, that's a tough draw for Kentucky. Um, 
yeah, I, I would like that game a lot more for the Wildcats, even without Ty Ty Washington, if that's going to be the case again on Saturday. Um, if it was in Lexington, uh, just not even with new, even if, even if the same refereeing crew calls it in both spots, I still, you know, I would feel more comfortable with this Kentucky team being at home rather than uh, on the road. And, uh, you know, I think coach Cal agrees with me. He's uh, said, why does Kentucky only have one marquee Saturday game all year? Why wouldn't at home, why wouldn't the SEC want to give it, you know, bell cow, the, the better TV treatment. So uh, he's got a point there. Um, you know, he likes to complain about a lot of perceived slights, but uh, that one I kind of, kind of agree with. So, uh, you know, it's going to be another tough road for the Wildcats on, uh, on Saturday. And, uh, but they've got plenty of experience now with that. So that should be, that's the game that I have circled is like the, the best one on the schedule for this weekend. Kentucky has a, a bit of an asterisk on the Auburn loss because of the Ty Ty Washington injury, of course, but like, in all seriousness, how do you think Cal plays this? Because obviously, like, they, they need him to be at 100% for that stretch run. But if you play conservative with him, you probably risk any path you had to an SEC title. So, like, how, how do you think this this kind of plays out with, you know, because it's an ankle injury. It's not something that we're talking about where it's like, oh, hey, just let it heal in, you know, three, four days, and then it's fine. And I, I hold him out. I hold him out. Um, this game Saturday in the grand scheme of things doesn't mean anything. Um, It's not an SEC game. Um, If they lose, win or lose, you know, when they jump up maybe three or four spots in the rankings, lose, they maybe drop three or four spots in the rankings. Uh, But then, so yeah, you rest them on Saturday. That's what I would do. And uh, then hope he's back midweek or by next weekend. Um, but, uh, yeah, because those are the games that matter. The SEC games are what count right now. Um, you know, the winning at Kansas would be a big feather for your cat. But, uh, yeah, I think I think you play it safe uh, and try to peak at the right time, which is in March, not in late January. Speaking of Kentucky, it feels like we should just expect Arkansas to follow the Kentucky path every year, kind of slow start with the new pieces, figure things out in the second half of the season. Is Eric Musselman gearing up for a deep March run like last year, or does this team maybe not defend well enough to be able to do that? Yeah, I don't know that this is an Elite Eight team, but this could still be a Sweet 16 team. Absolutely. The way they're playing now, uh, J.D. Note, uh, you know, the matchups are always important uh, when it comes to the SEC and NCAA tournament. So, you know, we'll have to keep our eye on that. But J.D. Note is always good. Uh, Jalen Williams has been coming on strong and uh, like the more he can be like what Justin Smith was last year, yeah. uh, the better that this team's going to be. That's what they were missing early in the season. He's been coming on strong lately. That's a big part of their current winning streak. Um, so, you know, the key now they just got to get Devo Davis back to where he was at the end of last year. He was, uh, you know, he was a popular uh, first team all SEC preseason pick here. And uh, he really hasn't done all that much. He's not even looking like an honorable mention at this point. So, you know, but he's still, we saw it last year. He has the talent to come on strong. Uh, you know, he's still playing good defense. He's still uh, moving the ball pretty well, but uh, yeah, I, I want to see him score a little bit more and a little bit more effortless, effortlessly. Um, so, you know, he's the key now moving forward now that Jalen Williams, is uh, on track a little bit here. 
Does anybody have any idea what Florida or Bama are this year? <laughs> I mean, they're teams that can beat anybody and lose to anybody. Uh, you know, the you never want to bet on Florida when they've won multiple games in a row um, because that's just a Mike White special. When you have momentum, you shoot yourself in the foot. That's uh, That's just what his teams do. I can't explain it. I don't know why. It's just what they do. Alabama, you just might as well flip a coin yep. and uh, decide if they're going to win a game or not. Because, uh, you know, I would, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they beat Baylor by like 10 on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. Like they've beaten Gonzaga. They've beaten Houston. We've seen the good in Alabama. We've seen the bad. When they're good, they can beat anybody, anybody, even Auburn. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Auburn next week. You know, they have this three-game stretch versus Baylor at Auburn. I forget where the Kentucky game is, but, uh, you know, those are three tough games right in a row there. And, uh, you know, they could go 0-3 if they play like they did against Georgia, but, you know, they also have the talent to potentially go 2-1 and one or uh, I don't think they will, but 3-0 and oh even in that stretch if they're all playing well. Like, But Shackelford's the only one that's hot right now. He's been hitting stuff for the past games. Quinterly is ice cold. Keon Ellis has been inconsistent. The rest of the team, J.D. Davison – hasn't looked like a first round pick in the NBA draft yet. Um, so they're still struggling to find the games where they are all playing together. Like they were Seattle against Gonzaga when they were against Houston in that like really tough, hard fought game. They just, but the atmosphere in Tuscaloosa on Saturday afternoon is going to be intense. And uh, you know, they like to get up for those games. So nothing would surprise me there. Let's do a little game to close out. Uh, I give you a coach and you tell me fine or fired. Not like they, they should be fined or something for their performance, although maybe like they're, they're fine at the end of the year. I've got five here because, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think we're probably going to see some major coaching changes in the SEC. That's fair, right? I think so. All right, let's start with the guy that you just mentioned here, Mike White. Fine or fired? <sighs> That's the toughest one. Um, because I believe he has a pretty big buyout. So, but I'm going to say fired. That would be Scott Strickland pretty much saying in consecutive big revenue seasons, we're willing to, because I mean, if you pay, if you pay a, a, an eight figure buyout in consecutive years, I don't know if, if the buyout is, if, is like quite at that level or anything, I'd have to look that up. But that's, that's like such a loud statement to do something like that. And it just does kind of feel like it's a little bit all over the place. Obviously, Scott Strickland doesn't want to fire Mike White because uh, he's had plenty of chances to do so at this point and hasn't done that yet. Um, probably a little bit different at Georgia with Tom Crean, who um, Josh Brooks, not the AD, who hired him. Um, how do you see that playing out, fine or fired? got to be fired <laughs> I yeah. mean, unless unless they uh you know somehow claw their way back to 500 and this alabama loss or alabama win sparks some sort of miraculous run i there's there's nothing like he did not bring in an sec caliber roster even with a couple of the players who went down with injuries you know they had pj horn go down they had uh, uh jalen ingram go down earlier this year uh even with even if those two guys were healthy this is still a bottom of the barrel sec team so i think he's got to be gone 
it's kind of also crazy that Anthony Edwards is like really taking off in the NBA. It almost hurts Kareem in some ways because it's like, dude, how did you not win more games with this guy right. on your roster? Yeah, Green, knowing him, he's going to continue to brag about having Anthony Edwards and recruiting him and doing all those different things because that's just who he is. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> let's do, uh, how about this one, Frank Martin? Fine. Uh, I, think, I think he's got another year. Um, next year is the, the do or die one for him in South Carolina. Uh, you know, they lost AJ Lawson this off season, you know, they still have Keyshawn Bryant who's probably gone after this year, but, uh, if he doesn't bring in some talent through the portal this coming off season and they struggle next year, I think that's when we'll start to hear the noise about him being on the hot seat in a real way. Conzo Martin. May 1st. That's that's as soon as he can legally be fired without cause. Uh, you know, some would argue his uh, late clock management in that Auburn game was worthy of being fired for cause. But uh, I don't think that they would you would argue that, that one in a court. I would argue that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would hold up in a court of law, though. So I think that uh, May 1st is the target date there. Uh, but, you know, that's almost a month after the end of the NCAA tournament and spoiler alert, the Tigers aren't going to be playing in that final weekend of the NCAA tournament. So that's a lot of time to let lapse before you can legally hire a new coach. So I still think that he's fired though. I'm holding out hope, you know, he's a good guy. I, you know, fans who support him will tell you that right away. Fans who support him will also tell you that this, Auburn loss was a program building loss, which is loser talk. So I, uh, I'm a, I'm a winner and, uh, I want to win games. So I say fired. I always say coach coaches never save their jobs with moral victories. It's just not how it works. Any big revenue sport. That is not how it works ever. Um, all right, let's, let's do this last one here because you've mentioned this and I, I, I've seen kind of different takes about him and people are seem to be all over the place about this guy, Rick Barnes. Uh, that's, that depends. I mean, I, right now, if they continue on this trajectory, I say he's fine. Um, but if they struggle the way that, uh, they did. So last year at the end of the regular season, they 13 games, they won seven and, uh, and lost six yep. and, uh, you know, went one, 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 <laughs> like it was just, it was just back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, and so if they do that again, I think he's gone. Uh, they need like, you know, they made, they were a five seed in the tournament and they, uh, and then lost to 12 seed Oregon state, which I thought was a really bad loss until Oregon state, uh, went on that long run. Um, but I, so I don't know. They, they've got to make some noise in the NCAA tournament. That's, that's it. And that's all for Rick Barnes. Like this has got to be a year that they at least make it to the second weekend, if not the elite eight. Otherwise, I mean, like he's going to be on the hot seat. I still think he's fine this year, but if he, if they have another tournament exit that's in the first round or, you know, maybe to a lesser seed in the second round, then, uh, you know, I think we'll be entering the 2022-23 season with like, Hey, is uh, Rick Barnes on the hot seat sort of takes, uh, especially from me. I'll start that take. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, great stuff. Everyone check out starting five on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Enjoy the hoops this weekend and uh, go take those corgis for a walk, man. Yeah. Uh, sorry that they were parking so much. No, you're but, good. Uh, we'll get her out there. Plan for next week. I think we're going to have a couple of uh, pretty well-known, I'd say, 
uh, former quarterbacks on the podcast. That's at least the initial plan, what I'm shooting for. So I, I think those are going to be really, really great interviews that you're definitely going to want to listen to. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Heck, tell, tell a friend to subscribe to this podcast. Go subscribe to our newsletter. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday Lives Forever. Great off-season content. Do that wherever you get your podcast. Join the Facebook group and hear your name right on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Thank you.